Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast, dedicated to modern sales and marketing, innovation, and leadership. Here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. I'm joined this week by Randy Frisch, the CMO and co-founder of Uberflip. You're probably familiar with Uberflip. They're the content experience platform that shifts from just pushing content out to tailoring content and the experience to each step of the buyer's journey to make sure they're getting the right information when they need to, to help drive results. We're going to talk about his latest book, and I will warn you a language alert. It's called Fuck Content Marketing. And it's not about destroying content marketing. It's actually about how to make content marketing actually work. We're going to talk about the greatest misconception or mistake that people have when it comes to content marketing. We'll talk about what percentage of content marketing is actually consumed versus what should be. And then when it comes to account-based marketing and content experience, the three keys to making sure that your content delivers value for your customers. You're going to learn a ton. It's a great time with Randy Frisch. Randy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ian. I'm I'm excited to be here. This is this is, you've got a great audience from what I know, and uh, excited to be able to connect with them and you. Well, excited. You know, most people aren't necessarily excited. Maybe thrilled, maybe jubilant, but you know, excited. You know, that's that's a new high for us. So we're we're, we're thrilled about that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm on a high right now. The Raptors. I'm from Toronto, and they oh. just won the championship. So I I think I'm just constantly excited right now. I've, oh. I've never had this feeling. Scott Stratton's also been over the moon on the uh, Raptors True. win. True. Yes. I, I think anyone in Canada, you know, Scott's just outside of Toronto, but yeah. uh, you know, you can go as far as Vancouver or the East Coast and. Everyone's everyone's a, a Kawhi Raptor fan these days. Exactly. Yeah. The uh, yeah the, the 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 people who are Canucks fans are like, no, no, no. We're more basketball fans. That's true. And, and even though this podcast is going to live live on, and I, you know, I always try not to date them. We're going to be happy for years. So I'm sure yeah, this yeah. podcast is still relevant two years from. And and, and and you guys could be poised for a you know an eventual three peat. You know, a repeat and then a three peat. So then, no matter when people are listening, it'll still be relevant. True. True. So I want to tap into your expertise, not on Raptors trivia, but um, but when it comes to the world of content marketing, and share with us what's the greatest misconception or mistake that you pe- that you see organizations making when it comes to content marketing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it starts with the definition, um, and and that's not to offend every anyone in terms of you know how they've defined it. We often take terms that were supposed to mean something and we define them in terms of what do we have to do first or what's in front of us is the first challenge. And I think that's one of the things that's happened with content marketing. It's, it's happened in a lot of go-to-market strategies. I mean, you know, I'll get to content, but you know, another buzzword these days is account-based marketing, right? Yep, and, sure. and we all look at that one and we say, oh, it's all about tiering our accounts and choosing the accounts. But you know, there's a great analyst over at Forrester named Laura Ramos, and she talks about, well, how are you actually engaging those accounts? So I I think the same thing happens in, in many things, you know, in many aspects of our strategies uh, of how as our organizations figure out how do we go to market? What are we actually going to do within that discipline? Um, we saw it happen with social media 10, 15 years ago, and we're all kind of trying to still make social work. So there's we're at this very fragile state for content um, and content marketing is a term that most of us and if you ask most organizations, most CEOs, CMOs, leaders, they'll end up defining it very much tied to how do we create great content, right? And yeah. and, and that kind of makes sense, right? Like, 
I don't know, Ian, if, if you've ever gotten to work with a content marketer, but but very often their background may have come from journalism or some sort of editor role. They may have come right out of school doing some sort of writing course, and they end up taking these jobs so that they can you know, be the voice of the brand, so that they sure. can tell great stories, so that they can author you know, an amazing ebook or produce an amazing video series. And and that's really hard work. Like I don't want to take anything away from content marketers because I think we undervalue how tough that work is. But content marketing wasn't supposed to end with the definition of creation, right? If you use, uh, and I know you you get to speak to a lot of content you know leaders in sure. in the world, uh, you know Joe Joe over at uh, CMI and Robert mm-hmm. over there, they did they had one of the best definitions in my opinion. They they defined content marketing, uh, yes, as creating relevant, valuable, and consistent content. But if you read all the way to the you know somewhat long definition, they talk about doing so to drive profitable customer action. Yeah, right? and engagement. And engagement, absolutely, and and that's the part, right? It's the same thing we we just said with with ABM. Right, like we got to figure out how to engage those accounts. We need to do that with our with our content. But the problem, the big problem here is we expect the content marketer to figure that out. You know, if that person came from a journalism role, you know, where they were writing for a paper, we didn't expect them to get the newspaper onto the shelf. Mm. Right? Yes, their voice should should you know create some demand. But ultimately, we had other people in our organizations who figure out how we go to market. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think the 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 what I'm what I'm hearing from this, and I want to make sure our audience is picking up, is too often people are focused on creating the content and it being there, but they're not thinking about how are we going to engage people who actually might be using that content. How do we make it so our sales force is using that content as part of interactions? How do we make it so that it's not just we're creating content that falls on the floor. I know that one of the things you talk about in the book, and the, the book is Fuck Content Marketing, which is which is great because obviously it in, inspires people to say, what? And it's not an anti-content marketing book. It's more, look, we spend a lot of time and energy producing content that nobody uses or consumes. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Absolutely. I, you nailed it there. I mean, the, there's a scary stat that I, that I do reference in the book, and I, and I apologize for the need to censor this if you're listening with your kids. <laughs> you're, you're now warned or yeah. you know, just, just pretend we're saying some sort of other word and they're, you know, they're not listening properly. Uh, I had to do the same thing when, my, when I came home to my kids, and I, you know, I had that exciting moment where the first book got delivered, and you know, my youngest, who's seven years old, was like, Dad, what are you doing? Right? And, and he then went to, to throw out every bad word that he knew to be like, why didn't you use this word or that word? And I was just like, oh, my God, like, we're, we don't run around the house and swear all the time. And in fact, when it came when it came to, you know, writing the original blog post that became this book, my team was very against me, you know dropping the F-bomb next to content marketing. Right. They're like, you're going to offend every content marketer. You're going to. You know, alienate our customers, our future customers. And I said to them, no, 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 they're going to actually agree with me here because one of the alternatives they were suggesting to me, my own team, they said, change the headline, like change it to stop content marketing, right? It's softer, yeah. <laughs> still bold. And, and I said, no, 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 the, the point is not to stop 
content marketing as we do, as we've defined it, which is creating content. It's more to stop the madness as, as you described of creating content and it doesn't get used, right? There's a, there's a stat out there that comes from serious decisions, part of Forrester, uh, that, that says that almost 70% of the content that we create goes unused, which is a number I, I get challenged on, even though it's not my data. Um, but, but, Serious Decisions, you know, explains that it's not whether or not you simply put that content on your website, right? Like that is not using content. <laughs> it's whether you use it in your campaigns and your go-to-market in terms of like how you think of welcoming a customer and as you put it in how you engage a customer. And the problem is for most of us, we just expect because we published it, because, you know, we created it and then we click publish that someone's going to find it. Yeah. Right? And and that doesn't happen. You know, people don't go searching for your content deep into the many pages. Um, you know, one of the funny things that that I always remind people is our expectations on finding content these days are, are very narrow. Right. Like, you know, look at a television. My kids have no idea how to use that interactive guide. Remember <laughs> that interactive guide that like saved us? You know, we no longer had to watch that channel where it slowly ticked up. Then we had the one that we pressed the menu button and this amazing thing came up and we could do by page. Like my kids are like, this is way too confusing. They want, you know, one page that just recommends a few things that they may like. And they get that on Netflix, on YouTube, wherever they go. And we get that too, right? Like I, I love music. I open up Spotify. There's content recommended for me. Yet somehow we expect as marketers that, that that consumer expectation doesn't apply to a B2B audience, right? That someone yeah. should come to our site and they should go to page 16 of our content results because we've got an amazing blog post there that was written six months ago that's still relevant today, right? I mean, like that's not how we search for content. You know, no. in my own house, I, I think now – I've lost track. I think I have seven Google Home devices and one Amazon Alexa, right? Yep. And, and, and my, my Do kid they ever now fight with each other? Need, yeah. My kid says we now need them in our bathrooms, which I don't understand. But, <laughs> you know, we've got them everywhere. And what we do with these things, we all do it, whether we realize or not, is, is we expect it to have the answer at its fingertips, right? Yeah. Like when I say to a Google Home – you know, let's say I'm in my kitchen. I'll say, "Hey Google, how do I, uh, you know, uh, do a do a boiled egg? You know, how long do I hard boil an egg? Or, or you know, sure. depending on your your form of egg style, you may ask it differently. And and what it's doing is it's just looking for the first result, right? It's the same as when we go to Google. You know, we have that you know the actual Google page, not the search yeah. bar. But we go to the Google page and we have two buttons. It's either search or I'm feeling lucky, right? Yeah. And I'm feeling lucky just took us to result one. Right. The first result, it's like that's now our expectation, not that it's going to be lucky, but it's going to be accurate. And that's where we have to start to adapt when with our content marketing. And so when I say fuck content marketing, I'm not saying to stop creating content. I'm saying we have to we have to move to focus on what I call content experience. Yep. And so. So I want to I want to get to what you mean by content experience. But one of the one of the things this makes me think of is. Very often when I'm talking to organizations, say, look, you need to be addressing content, similar to what Marcus Sheridan talks about in, um, in his talks. I say, look, you need, to, you need to address the questions that people are asking for your industry. And the, and the most typical question I get from an executive is, well, but how, how are we going to show up in a search result? And I said, well, let's, let's assume no one ever searches on it. 
But what if when your sales organization, your business development team is talking with somebody, what if they actually reach out to that person and say, hey, here's a piece of content I thought you might find helpful? Then all of a sudden now you're getting value from that content because you are pushing it to the right person who needs that at the right time. So when somebody says – well, gee, I'm not sure why I would use your service versus versus XYZ. You want to be able to share comments? You know, we have a quick video because a lot of people ask us that question. Let me send that to you because now I've got an individual who recorded a video who gave a better description than anyone in the company could ever give. And now that 90-second video and the client says, oh, now it makes sense. And we, we've just delivered the exact content that person needs at that moment as opposed to historically what we do is say, look, uh, you know, we're going to use the mushroom technique. We're going to keep you in the dark and pile crap on top of you. And as a client, you're going to eventually figure all this stuff out and it's going to make sense to you and it doesn't happen. Yeah. So first off, let's go back to Marcus for a moment because I I, I want to be careful as, as we move past just pure inbound that I'm not offending Marcus because I, I, I think he's a <laughs> genius. He's a good friend of mine. But we have to remember the the stories that he often tells take us back to a time where there wasn't as much content as there is today, number one. Um, It was a very different type of sales cycle than we see today. I mean, he he talks about coming out of the recession when, you know, when he was trying to sell pools and, you know, the way he did so with inbound. And a lot of that still applies. But Marcus, you know, helps a lot of people, as you put it also with, you know, their sales funnel today. It's not just about that inbound funnel. It's it's how do you move people throughout? And, And I think that's where as you put it, that expectation of that of that buyer that you're engaging with, they're using all these tools that I that I spoke about, right? They're they're using Netflix, they're using Spotify. Uh, you know, they they may even be on a, a bike at home that's Peloton, where it's like sure. content being recommended for what what workout that they should do. I mean, the, the this streaming economy that we're in, we can't ignore. We need to bring it into our marketing and into our strategy that, that we use on a day-to-day. And that's, a, you know, you asked me earlier, what is a content experience? That's a big part of it. You know, the, it's kind of funny, I guess. I, I was chatting with this CMO back in January this year. And, you know, she had been referred to speak to me, you know, she kept hearing about the term content experience and she's like, you know, I'm, I finally get what this is. And, you know, it's going to be one of the things that we do in Q4. Right. And I, and I kind of <laughs> chuckled the same way you did there. Right. I, I, and, and we had a good rapport going, so it wasn't a disrespectful chuckle, but I was like, she's like, why are you, why are you laughing? She's like, I'll probably buy Uber flip software for it. You know, I thought you'd be happy. And I said, no, no, no. Like suggesting you're going to do it in Q4 would kind of suggest you're not doing it now. She goes, oh yeah, absolutely. We're not doing anything for content experience now. Um, we don't have a content experience is more or less what she was saying. And, and I said, well, how, how do you, how do you think that is? She goes, well, we're, we're just still creating content. And, and I said, but are you putting it out there? And she said, of course, we're putting it out there. As soon as we you know, write that next post, we publish it. Um, but we just haven't put a focus to content experience. I said, that's the key is you haven't put a focus yet. And, but it doesn't mean that people aren't experiencing your content. And that's a simple way to think about it. Just as we say a customer experience, right, is you know, to suggest that we haven't you know, 
put a focus to customer experience may mean that we're delivering a great one or a terrible one naturally, but we're still, we're still delivering content. So the way I often break down for someone to understand what a content experience is, it's the way someone feels or the emotions they have or their tendency to, to remain engaged with you when they encounter your content. So as long as we're publishing content, we're delivering an experience. There's three parts that I always often break down though to, to kind of say, how do we how do we focus on if it's a good one or a bad one? And the and the three ideas of you know we can pick one or more to unpack are the idea of environment, structure, and engagement. Yep. So environment, structure, and engagement. All right, let's let's walk through briefly each one because obviously people are gonna get the book to get the real guts of it. But let's just walk through so people understand because my guess is by now, people in the audience are saying, yeah, that's totally right. Uh, you know what? Yeah, we've just been pushing content out there, but we're not thinking about intentionally what their experience is with it, how they feel about it. We're just happy that we produced a blog. We're happy that we produced a video, and we're just assuming how people are interacting with it, which is pretty dangerous. So now when we talk about the environment, when, when, so it's the environment, it's the structure – and ultimately the engagement. So let's talk with start with environment because that's one that we all understand, right? I mean, even on our websites, we play with A-B tests. We, we test different colors. We test layouts. Um, but with our content, do we do that? We, we do that with the words, right? We'll, you know, we'll try and optimize, as we said, for SEO. Or we'll, we'll test longer format versus shorter format. But what about just the layout and, and whether it's laid out in a way that's engaging and, and keeps me connected in a meaningful way? And in, in an interesting way to think about that one, say, versus is, uh, you know, the old ways that we used to do things, I often say, is, is to look at uh, Blockbuster, right? And if, yep. if people don't remember Blockbuster, then uh, then I'm starting to feel old. But then Google uh, it. <laughs> yeah, they, they can Google it. It's basically where you now go for a Starbucks coffee. They were on every corner, right? Like right. In every but instead of, of coffee, yeah. they had movies, but they were yeah, never they in movies. stock. <laughs> we'd go and waste time there. Um, but but you know, suppose we went in and, and we wanted to find a movie back in the day. Let's say it was Apollo 13, right? Um, and if it was a new release, you know, and you and I, we'd know where to go. We'd go to the far left one of the first couple of bays because it's an A and it, and we, you know, assuming it was on, in stock, whole other question if it's not and, and how bad of an experience that was, but you know, we'd find it. Now we go home and a whole other issues, is we'd have to come back to get another video. Um, but when we did and we were all of a sudden in a Tom Hanks mood, um, you know, <laughs> anyone fact checking Tom Hanks was in Apollo 13. Uh, you know, the question is where do we go for another Tom Hanks movie? I mean, number one, they, they didn't have like a Tom Hanks shrine in, in the, in blockbuster. And, and suppose I wanted to watch Forrest Gump, you know, is it in, the action area? Is it in the comedy area? Is it in a drama area? Honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't even go fact check this for you because there are no more blockbusters. <laughs> uh, and, and that's because the way it was all laid out there was just a mess. Um, and, and that's where we, we start to weave as well into this idea of, of structure too, right? The way they organize their content inside of those stores is really what led us to find 
the content that we that we couldn't find and ultimately Netflix came in and completely disrupted that. Sure. So you start to see these ideas of environment and structure play hand in hand in terms of how we lay things out, how we're able to find them and our ability to lay them out better comes comes back to tagging content, right? So come out of the blockbuster and Netflix world, how well are you actually tagging your content? Now, a lot of us will tag our content um, tied to keywords, right? Like what are people searching, which is important, right? We said SEO is still important. But what about, as you said, how do I know what my my BDR, SDR, AEs need to use from my content library to engage with my audience? So one of the things that my team started to do with our own content is we tag the content not just from the external search, but internal search terms. So that could be even Salesforce stage, right? You know, we have certain content that is great for 60%, right? A deal stuck sure. at 60%, you look up and you say, I got a deal stuck at 60%. It's in this industry. It's for a company that's a mid-market organization. Great. This is a great asset to use in that case. So it's, it's you know, this idea of structure only can happen when we have good uh, tagging and audit of our content that's happened. Um does that make sense on those? No, teams? you know what it makes it makes perfect sense. In fact, I th- I think about the uh, so for for years I wrote a column every week in Forbes and I'd write two or three articles a month in Inc. and it was just content being dropped out there. Obviously, we had very little to do with the engagement on it or what people did with it. It was you know the Inc. and Forbes and how they published it and. All of a sudden, realized you know what? No one books me to write. Thankfully, they book me to speak. Let's let's shift to video. And one of the things that we that we changed oh, probably six months ago is uh, I'm sure you know Gideon at Splashio, and um, you know he's got this whole this whole tool that frames and and captions your videos. And the level of engagement we got when we switched to that was pretty substantial. And it was just a matter of it made it easier for people to consume if they didn't have the audio on. It made it easier for people to get the gist of what that video was about rather than reading it in a blurb on LinkedIn. Absolutely. I mean that that to me is a big part of environment as well, right? I mean one of the analogies I always give there is drinking a Corona in your basement versus drinking that Corona on the beach, Right? Yeah. The contents of that corona are not different or the content that you're creating, the words are not different. But depending on how we surround it, it determines if we have one beer or six beers, one piece of content, six pieces of content. Yeah. Right? You know, we, we, we drink that beer on the beach. There's something magical that's going on. I don't know what it is, right? but it is the exact same recipe. Right, your video is the same, but when you start to put captions on it, when you start to do these things that deliver a better content experience, you're simply going to have people stick around more because they 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 feel like this is a great experience. Sure. And, 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 and Randy, my question for you is this: is that how much of a role do you feel environment and structure plays in the engagement side? Well, I think it's key. I I, I think. You know, the layout, the structure, you know, the last piece I would throw that, that really gets you to that engagement, though, is the personalization. And that, that was the party in that you were hitting on maybe five minutes ago um, of how do I deliver the right content to every audience member? And, and that's what we're expecting, right? I mean, look at all these examples we're giving around Netflix and Spotify 
Um, you know, I, I love Spotify. I think it's such a good app. Uh, I love that when I open it, it literally says made for you or made for, you know, Ian yeah. or made for Randy. And, you know, if, you know, there's probably, you know, tens of thousands of people listening to this podcast right now, they may even be listening on Spotify. So like, you know, move over to that tab that says home and you'll see the words made for you. That is a feeling where I truly feel like they understand me. Sure. And like, let's not, let's not overanalyze the need as, as organizations to create so much content that we're all going to have our own songs written for us. Like when I go there, ACDC has not written me my own track, but they've curated music that I love. And it yeah. leads me to discover more, especially in my discover weekly playlist. That's what you need to do as an organization. You need to put your sales reps, you need to put your marketing team as well in a position where when they're going after target accounts, they can curate the right content for them through the tagging and structure that we talked about and deliver it in a way where there's some, there's some environmental aspects that feel truly personalized. A lot of, uh, of our customers at Uberflip, what they'll do is they take a page. Um, so say we were trying to sell uh, to Pepsi, right? Um, and you know this works for B2B, of course, as well. We're trying to sell to IBM. Whoever the brand is, I'm drinking a Pepsi, which is why I gave the, the <laughs> shout out there. Uh, whoever the brand is, we'll throw our logo, a little heart or plus sign to suggest that we love the brand that we're trying to sell to. We add a little bit of context with a summary, but then we, we grab anywhere from seven to 10 pieces of content that we feel that account at that stage of the buyer journey needs to better progress in terms of their research. Because 82% of the time right now that people are evaluating a, a platform or a solution or a product, uh, they're doing research. That's research spent with you. That's research spent on their own time. Yeah, and if and if we're and if we're engaged with them and we're helping guide them to content that's helpful for them, then a our content isn't just being produced and falling on the floor. And b the client says, "Wow, these people really understand us." It's funny. One of the things we're doing right now is from the way we deliver content historically, everybody signed up for the quote newsletter and everybody get the same feed. And over the last couple of months, we've started this process where now we're saying, okay, we need to identify where geographically people are. We need to specify what type of business they are so that we can deliver the content they're actually going to care about so that they we eventually build an experience. So they say, wow, when I get Ian's email, it's always got relevant content to me. So if I'm in the Northeast and my whole team is in the Northeast – I don't get information about a workshop Ian's holding in Southern California because we don't care about that. And it's not saying, oh, let us know where you're at. So we, we're starting to collect, well, where's your team geographically and what type of content is most valuable for you? And then we're going to tag things so that they only get what's relevant to them and not the stuff that isn't relevant because it, we're hopeful that increases the likelihood that people actually want to read what they receive. Absolutely. I, I think you nailed it there. The It is so important that we make that first impression. You know, I get a lot of people who ask me my opinion on, on things as well, like privacy these days and what, what can be tracked and what not be tracked. And, and the way I put it is, you know, not to sound all Spider-Man-y, but, you know, with, with data comes great power, right? You know, and, and great responsibility at the same time. And when you think about that, 
and I talk about this in the book, this idea that we all very quickly in our minds decide who we trust and who we don't trust based on how they use data. So, so take as an example Netflix, right? You open up Netflix. Do you even think for a moment about the fact that they're tracking everything that you do? No, because they're adding a ton of value back in return. They're giving you this, this single screen of context. Same thing with Spotify. Even Google, I would argue, we, we trust. We really trust Google because we let them track everything that we do so that those search results that we get are super tailored. Now, we're kidding ourselves if, if we don't realize that there are certain things that we don't trust, right? And an example where we do this is anytime you install a new app on your mobile device, you know, you open it up for the first time and you get like three pop-ups and a couple of them tied are tied to, can we send you notifications and can we track your location, right? And, <laughs> and, and no! we don't, we, we don't, well, we do it so quickly in our mind. We think to ourselves, are they going to add value? Yeah. Like if I give them access and, and we don't, we don't sit there for seven seconds even and do it. No. We do it within a split second. We're like, yes, no, right? And, 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 and if, we'll- if they've built trust with us and we think like, for example, there's a ton of stuff, information we give to Google because we think in general they're delivering stuff that's helping me find what I want so I'm okay with it. Same thing on Amazon. You know, Someone said Absolutely. to me, well, don't, doesn't it bother you that Amazon suggests other products? I said, well, it would bother me if it wasn't for the fact that – 80% of the time, I'm like, yeah, I do need that other product. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, it's funny. I mean, a lot of us have, you know, in a post GDPR world, we've had to adapt to this. I think it's, I hope it's a temporary, but it's, it's a weak solution of this accept button, right? It's like yeah. on every one of our websites, you know, yes, I accept you can track me, but eventually that same mindset that we have with our mobile app is going to come onto that web page. And you know, what's going to determine whether we, ex- where we, whether we say yes or no, same way we do in the mobile app is, are you giving me content on that little teaser page that shows that you will actually know who I am? Are you a brand that is going to leverage data, you know, you know, with power and responsibility, or are you going to do so in a way where it just feels like you're you're giving me the same generic garbage as everyone else, right? Yeah, I mean, because, it's, like, it's like the force. Are you using it for good or evil? Exactly. And right? if, you're using it for, if, if you're using it for evil, you end up losing all your limbs and burning on a on a hillside somewhere. It's awful. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're on that when when you as an organization, and you know, I, I know there's a lot of senior people who listen to this podcast. When your company sends out an email, or when you send people to an ad, or when you put a tweet out, whatever you're doing, if you don't make it personalized or make it feel personalized, you got to remember they're on the same device that they're watching Netflix on listening to Spotify, you know, doing all of these personalized things. And somehow you want them to pay attention to that latest email that comes in where the most personalized you get is that you know their name. They understand it's a mail merge at this point, right? Like yeah. they're no longer amazed like, oh my gosh, how how did this company do it, right? Whereas how, I, you know, I get How did they send it Netflix to F name? That's amazing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but Netflix sends me an email, and I'm like, you know what? I wonder what they're recommending for me right now. Oh yeah, it's it's and it's it's a pretty cool thing. So hey, hey, Randy, I want to make sure that people know about your Connex conference in August. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. People can go to Connex with one n dot uberflip dot com. That's the great great place to go for that. Yeah, absolutely. Because people should know about that conference. If you want to understand this idea of actually a content experience, 
if you if you want to better understand how to take that evolution and in essence upgrade your vision of how you connect with your customers, it's a great place to do it. How else can people connect with you and learn more about what you're doing? Thanks for for offering that. I'm pretty active, I'd say, on LinkedIn. So if you want to hear what I have to say from time to time, that's a great place to do so. Uh, And then the other aspect, we talked about the book. So if if people are curious to to download that book uh, or you're on a podcast, maybe you want to listen to the book, go to Amazon. Uh, The book is there. Uh, It's called Fuck Content Marketing with a hashtag in there and uh, you can also go to my personal site which is brand.com so b-rand.com excellent all right man well you know what i appreciate your insights a lot of great stuff to get people thinking differently about what they've been doing with content marketing and how to create that experience that leads to engagement that actually drives results so thanks for sharing your wisdom thanks a lot ian this was fun randy shared so much great information Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information you can use and apply to your business right away. And if you have not already subscribed to my YouTube channel, please go check that out on YouTube and just search for Ian Altman or Same Side Selling. So first, remember that almost 70% of content does not get used. And when it comes to account-based marketing, the problem is that most people are delivering the same content to everybody and it's just sitting there idly. If you want to create a great content experience, remember the three keys that Randy talked about, which is making sure you've got the right environment, the right structure, and the right level of engagement, so that way your content is delivering value when your clients need it, not just whenever you feel like sending something out. And of course, check out their Connex conference in August. Um, Knowing Randy and knowing Jay Bear is also putting this on with them, it's going to be an amazing event. Remember, this show gets the direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic I should cover or a guest I should have on the program, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, especially your customer.